we continue our journey. We're in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're at the second half of chapter 4. And here Paul has called us to live a life or walk worthy of the glory of God. Walk worthy of the call of God uh, that we have received. And so today he is going to take us, the first step with that is do that by loving your church in humble ways. But now he's going to look at personally, what does that look like for us? And for us, it means we need to have a, a, a makeover revolution. Do y'all remember that TV show, Extreme Makeover? Ty Pennington, right? Uh, a family has a house that's kind of a mess and doesn't really fit for their family, and they really need more done to it, and they need it spruced up. They need a new house. And Ty would go in, right, and he would fix everything up, get it looking beautiful and amazing. And when the family came home, they would just be stunned and floored by all the changes that had taken place for them. And, and what Paul is talking about today for us is that in our life, we all have particular moments, big moments, small moments, where we realize, you know what, my life is at a place where I need an extreme makeover too. And that's what he gets into today. And so let's see what Paul has to share with us. He says this in the 17th verse of Ephesians 4. So I tell you this, now I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live, and in Greek that's walk out as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, you see, they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And it's due to the hardening of their hearts and having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed for more. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer and must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Instead, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And keep on walking in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? 
Come, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray, especially for those of us that are at a place where we know we need an extreme makeover of life. Step in and help us do what we don't know how to do. Give us the mind and heart and faith we need to follow you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so here, brothers and sisters, Paul calls us to an extreme makeover. He says, listen, you know kind of where you were before, and in particular he's talking to the, the non-Jewish folks who didn't grow up with an understanding of who God is and what God wants for us and how to live God's best life. And, and so Paul lays down and says, you've got to leave the old life behind. You've got to make a break from the past and to begin a new future. And to do this, he shares with us two principles that I think he picked up in his own Jewish faith life. Two principles that he saw translated from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from before Jesus to now in Jesus' day. And so we want to look at these two principles to kind of dig into what Paul is calling us to be and do. The first is, is the ancient Jewish principle of cleanliness versus uncleanliness. In Jewish life, you're always hoping to be clean rather than unclean. Because if you're unclean, you couldn't go to the temple for worship. And all sorts of things could make you unclean. Now, now uh, you know, uh, gosh, Benjamin Franklin once said, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? And that's Benjamin Franklin. It's not in the Bible. For those of you who thought, you know, that's biblical. But the principle was there in the Old Testament with the idea that in life you would either be clean, and if you're clean, then you're worthy to enter the presence of God and to get to know your Creator. But if you're unclean, you weren't able to. And, and it could be things like not eating kosher would make you unclean. And it could be things like if you had too much mold in your house and mildew in your house, and if you couldn't get rid of it, you would eventually maybe have to move and find another house or tear it down and start over. Because as God's people, you're called to be clean. It often had to do with skin diseases, like leprosy was thought of as a skin disease at that time. And you know, the lepers were left outside the camp in the place of uncleanliness because of their skin disease. They were not able to go to worship with the people of God. And there were many others. It, when you were intimate with your spouse and other issues, uh, you know, women's monthly time of the month, all those things had to do with cleanliness versus uncleanliness. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he takes a different look at this than they had learned in the Old Testament. And in fact, he gets in a kind of a dialogue or a debate with the Pharisees over this. The Pharisees had noticed, for instance, that the disciples had decided to eat lunch without washing their hands. And the Pharisees said, well, they're unclean. And Jesus, here you're supposed to be a spiritual guru leading us in life and showing us how we need to be more clean. And you're not following it yourself because you're letting your disciples eat without washing their hands. And so this is Jesus' response in Mark 7 to that. He says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. It's not anything outside of a person that can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them or what comes out of a person. That's what makes us unclean. He goes on in verse 20 and says, What comes out of a person is what makes them unclean, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, 
that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil start inside, and they're what makes a person unclean. And so when Paul looks at general Greek culture, he sees that they have tripped over this very same thing. They have found ways to involve their lives that made them unclean. And we see that in the 19th verse where he says that they gave themselves up to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, greedy for more. That word impurity there, that's that word that he would be thinking about being unclean. And so Paul describes a life of someone who has just kind of forgotten about God and gone full steam ahead into the world. He says when people do this, uh, they live with a mind that is empty of anything good. Their understanding becomes darkened. They, they see their lives or they experience separation from the life of God because they don't know any better. And also because they have let the world harden their hearts with all those things that make us unclean. He says they've lost all sensitivity. They've grown numb to the pain. And how many people out there, either to pain or fear of anger, we just find ways to stuff it one way or another, either by partying or by drinking or by drugs or by buying more stuff. You know, if you're lonely, you know, I've known several folks along the day that because they were lonely, they would just buy things, I think, just to buy them, right? All these ways, we try to numb the pain. We give ourselves over to sensuality, thinking the life of the party, the life of popularity, that will fulfill me. But instead, we find our hearts are dirty, spoiled, polluted. We're unclean. You know, one of the saddest things that I think of, one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything else, I, I've been just hearing stories like this this week of, of just folks that we meet out on the street, folks who have found themselves in tough situations, folks whose lives are a mess or their marriages are a mess and about to fall apart because of unfaithfulness and because of this and because of that. And you see the ignorance, you see the lostness, and the saddest part of all, brothers and sisters, is a, a lot of people like this, um, they feel like they can't come to church. The church is the last place they could be accepted. Church is the last place they could come and find hope or a, a new direction. Because of their brokenness, they're afraid they're not welcome here. But brothers and sisters, somehow we have to find a way to make sure people who are broken, people who are lost, people who need to leave the past behind know that this is the place to be, to do all that. This is where we want them to be. And so Paul encourages us, leave the past behind. Because he says, this isn't the way you learned about Jesus, right? Jesus is 
180 degrees different. Jesus is a countercultural revolutionary from this kind of life. Jesus teaches us to put off the old self and its deceitful desires and instead to be made new in the attitudes of our mind, to clothe ourselves with the new person, a new identity that is made to be like God, made in a way that we know true righteousness and we can see much clearly how to make good choices, right choices. And in, in the way of true holiness, and holiness, brothers and sisters, has to do with being whole as a human being. A person who is content and full in all God wants him to be. This is the destiny. But so oftentimes it's our past that keeps us from that. To kind of give you an example of this, I want to share the story of today of a lady named Doreen Virtue. Her story fits this pattern in a lot of ways. You see, Doreen grew up in a family uh, kind of with a single mom, I think, and they grew up in the Christian Science Church. And Christian Science is quite a bit different than the average church congregation. And she says one of the things her mom would teach her is we'll read the Bible, but we'll only pick out the things in it that we like. So Jesus dying on the cross, oh, we don't like that, so we're not going to read that part. Or the sin and fall of Adam and Eve, we don't like that, we won't read that part. And so they would cut out of the Bible things they didn't like, and she grew up in this Christian science idea where she had a mixed view of what was right and what was true. She went on to college, and after college, she uh, got a degree in psychology and got a doctorate in psychology and wrote this, writ, wrote this dissertation. And it must have been pretty good uh, because when she wrote it, she had a publishing company come to her, and they'll say, we'll publish your dissertation for you, and we'll you know, see if people will buy it. And so she did, and people bought her book. And so she began to get kind of popular, and people would invite her to sort of the, the self-help uh, circuit where she would go and speak on self-help kind of stuff. And while she was there speaking on self-help stuff, she would notice some other things that they would be talking about too, what today we'd call kind of new age kind of stuff. And so she'd see things about healing crystals and, and uh, you know, the, the enlightenment of Buddhism and all these other things out there and so she began to learn about those things too and and as her popularity grew she began to talk about all these different things and and she began to think of herself sort of as a christian but as an open-minded kind of christian who really believed that you know anyway was great and so she loved learning about buddhism and hinduism and christianity some and and she would just kind of bounce around and y'all as she wrote books after books after books she became incredibly popular I mean, she has books written in over 36 different languages. And life couldn't get any better for her, right? She was living in Hawaii on a 50-acre ranch. How many of us wouldn't like to be living in Hawaii with a husband on a 50-acre? I mean, that sounds like you can't get any better than that. But yet she was empty. Yet she knew she hadn't found what she was looking for. She knew 
that somewhere along the way she had gotten on the wrong track and she needed to leave the old way behind. Now I'll tell you more about that in just a second, but let's go on and see. That was the first principle Paul gives us is clean versus unclean, not on the outside with stuff or, or food or anything like that, but on the inside with our heart. How is our heart doing? And so the second step Paul gives us is he says, listen, the way forward is to learn the life God wants for you and to learn the way the life God wants for you. But one of the keys to that is the Old Testament law. Because in places like the Ten Commandments, God tries to teach us this is who we are and this is how we're to live. And so in the next set of verses, he talks about kind of Ten Commandment kind of stuff in very practical ways. For instance, don't bear false witness, but instead he says, take off lies. Take off your lies. Take off your falsehood. Instead, learn how to speak truthfully to each other because we're all members of the one body. I know a couple of years ago, I saw a, just a short TV show on teenagers, maybe 60 Minutes or something, and how they were doing studies with teenagers and how some teenagers, when they got together in a group and heard one person's story about who they were and where they came from, that oftentimes another teenager would m kind of make up their own story about, you know, if they didn't come from a good family, if they didn't come from a good background, they would make up something that would sound a whole lot more interesting than who they really are because they so wanted to be accepted and they didn't feel like they could be accepted and be real. Brothers and sisters, Paul reminds us here, telling lies is not who we're to be. We're to be truth tellers, truth claimers, because we're members together of a family. Then the second piece he looks at is, in anger, do not sin. And, and one of the things is, uh, Jesus connected the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not murder. You know, he connected that with anger, right? And I think Paul picks up on what we would call the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and says, well, let's look a little deeper at anger. I'm going to hit on anger last because it's kind of the biggest one here, but he does that one next. And then the third one he looks at, he says, those who've been stealing, you got to get rid of, you know, quit stealing, Instead, learn how to be someone who works hard. And when you work hard and you make money, then learn how to be generous. Learn how to give and help those who don't have anything. If you can become that kind of person. And we heard Mark share the similar story that that's what Zacchaeus had learned from Jesus. That very same thing. And so, again, he calls us to live out the Ten Commandments in different ways. Next, he talks about do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up. You know, one of the things that saddens me about our culture today is it just seems like we've gotten into this habit of using cuss words and curse words and negative language all the time, almost anywhere and everywhere. I know my kids say, well, they, you know, they go to public school and they're just like, you know, dad, kids are like cussing all the time everywhere. That's just the, the life we're living in. And it's so sad because Paul is reminding us here that your words matter and how we talk matters. And our, our words should be building people up. They should be giving people grace. They should help, help people learn and grow and be the best they can be. 
and so much of our words instead tear down and cut down. And then he comes back in the last part to anger a second time. He hits on it twice. I think he hits on it twice because he's saying this is one of the main things that can trouble us as human beings. So what do we learn about anger from Paul here? First, he says, in your anger, do not sin. So here's the first insight. Anger is okay. If you're a human being, you're going to get angry. And there's nothing wrong with getting angry. But what Paul says is you've got to find ways to get angry, but not let it lead to sin and harming others around you. You see, what anger is supposed to do in our hearts and lives is anger is a warning sign for us, right? Anger tells us our boundaries are being violated. Or anger tells us, uh, you know, there's something unjust about what we're talking about or what we're trying to do. Anger is a warning sign that something is wrong, right? And that's the positive of anger. So Paul tells us, you can be angry, but do not sin. And there he's quoting one of the ancient Psalms. He says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, because you do not want to give the devil a foothold. And so Paul's warning is this, let anger be a warning sign for our lives, but don't let it stay in your life, because if you begin to store anger, then you let evil in with it, you let sin in with it, and you will harm others because of the anger in your heart and in your life. So you've got to learn to let that stuff go, to put that in the past and put it behind you. Because the path of anger will consume you and destroy you. It'll allow the devil to get a foothold in your life. And then on the flip side, a couple of verses later, he shares, it'll also grieve the Holy Spirit of God from whom you are sealed on the day of redemption. And with this combining thing, he is warning us that sin pollutes us, and at the same time, sin pushes the presence of God away from our lives, especially anger. And so he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, I want you to see this list. It's a list of what happens in us as we let anger store up and grow. Right? Anger, he says, starts with bitterness. When bitterness gets in your heart, you know, you're just kind of, I didn't like that, you know, and, and you let that bitterness inside you. I think one person said, if you, if, you do, if you keep on being bitter, you won't get better, right? But bitterness is the foundation of anger because when we let our unmet expectations or, you know, whatever it is that has made us bitter, if we store that bitterness in our heart and life, then he says that leads to wrath or anger. And that's where we begin to, to get more angry emotionally. We have a harder time controlling our temper because we're always on edge with anger. And if we let that anger continue to grow inside us, he says it'll begin to show itself in our relationships. It will lead to brawling and battling. It'll lead to slander and using words that seek to cut down and hurt and wound and destroy. So he says when your anger is starting to lash out either in a physical fight or lash out in a way that uh, with your words, both, 
have gone too far. And at the very last, he says, along with every form of malice. And malice is that when the anger becomes so intense that you intentionally go out and do something to harm other people's stuff or other people. You know, we talk about our trouble today with mass shootings and mass killings and, and all that. And ultimately, there is a root of anger under that, a root of hurt, a root of loneliness, a root of brokenness that only love can heal. And until we find ways to help people and help young people especially let go of their anger, we will be in trouble. Not only that, but as a culture today, we continue to get more and more angry at each other on other sides of the political aisle, right? And that worries, that concerns me. Because if we let anger be in charge in the years ahead, it's not going to be pretty. We've already done that once. It was called the Civil War. I have no desire to do anything like that again. But we see things popping up on January 6th. We see things popping up, you know, with the, the other uh, riots and stuff that have kind of gotten out of control at times, that damage property or hurt people. And Paul points us and says, no more. Let the past be behind. Claim your new identity, your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What does that look like, Paul tells us? He says it looks like being kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each another just as Christ and God forgave you. Follow God's example, dearly loved children, and learn to walk and keep walking in the way of love. The kind of love that Jesus showed when he loved us and died for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God on the cross. We should be dying for one another in love rather than fighting one another in battle. And so Paul tells us this is who we are to be. This is the countercultural revolution that we need as the church of Jesus in this day, in this age, because this way is the way that might just save our nation. Um, John Wesley, right, is our heritage. John Wesley is our heritage. You know, when he came on the scene, for instance, France fell into the French Revolution, right? Everything went bad. Everything went black. Everything happened bad in France. And there are a lot of people who think John Wesley and other uh, revival preachers like him may have stopped that from happening in England because they preached the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They preached a better way so that when the, the storm of revolution came across the, the narrow strait, England and its workers and its lower class said, no, we don't need that. We've got Jesus, and Jesus is enough for us. Uh, so, anyway... That's who God's calling us to be, to break from the past, to renew our minds, to put on this new identity. And brothers and sisters, I close with Doreen's virtue story. This is the truth she found too. 
she found a call to break from her past as well. She see, one day she happened to be listening on the radio to Pastor Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish pastor. I actually listened to something by Alistair yesterday on YouTube that had happened to pop up. And, uh, and so he was listening, and he was preaching on itching ears from 2 Timothy 4, where the Apostle Paul writes that in the end times, people will want their itching ears tickled by false teachers who offer false hope. And as she listened to that message, you know what she said? That's me. That's what I've been telling people for years, is how to have a great life with all this New Age stuff. She went home and she told her husband, you know what? I think I really want to go to church, not, not a Christian science church. I want to go to kind of a real church. And her husband said, okay, let's go. And as she went to church, she began to get into the God's word for the first time in her life. The whole word, not just the pieces that she was supposed to pick out and like. And as she did, she began reading the Bible and she got to Deuteronomy 18, verse 10 where she said she'd encountered a list of sinful activities that included several she was using herself, such as divination, interpretation of signs and omens, and mediumship. The passage says that people using these methods are detestable. And when she thought of what she had done, she broke with shame. She was humbled by these words. She says she dropped on her knees in shame and sorrow. I'm sorry, God, she wailed in repentance. I didn't know. And on that very day, she gave her life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that was only four, five, six years ago. She gave up her Hawaii home. She began saying, don't read my books anymore. I don't care how many languages they're translated in. I don't believe them anymore. She made a lot of enemies in the New Age movement because she did that. They turned on her. She ended up going to Western Seminary in Portland because she wanted to know the truth, and God gave her a new mind to understand the Bible in a way she had never understood it before. And she is now on a new path, knowing and hoping that she can bring other people like her to Jesus to find his grace and peace too. That's the good news. She left her past behind and found that Jesus was willing to make her someone new. And whatever our past is, whatever our present is, Jesus invites us to let it behind and let's be someone new. Holy, whole, and knowing right and living right for his glory. So let that be me and let that be you. I pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you always invite all of us, no matter how dirty we feel or spoiled or polluted, you invite us all, starting today, to leave the past behind. Lord, help us take you up on your offer. Give us a new mind like you gave Doreen. Give us a new heart. Shape us in your holiness and righteousness and love. Make us more like you. Especially, Lord, teach us how to walk in love consistently 
rather than let anger and other things block the way. Lord Jesus, until we give you everything, we will not be our best. But you have a destiny for us, a holiness of heart and life. Help us surrender and say yes.